Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks that in this dark world you have shed your light upon us, found in your word, that we might be able to see clearly the depths and depravity of our own hearts, the depths and depravity of this world in which we dwell, for the hope of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we delight with our whole heart to be able to keep and understand your promises, that we would see that it is good as we walk through this weary land and face afflictions, that we might grow and learn of your love and compassion towards us. Lord, that we would see that your word is better than a thousand pieces of gold or silver. That we would not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fill us with your spirit, that we might be able to understand your promises. Be challenged to our hearts. To be able to fulfill and live out what you have called us to do. Of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 3. I'll be reading from verse 12 unto uh, 4 verse 1 to help us understand context. So hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 3 verses, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think, think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have set in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. 
Paul here is finishing up his big argument that goes all the way back to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 ends in verses 27 and 28 saying, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, that I hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God. And here Paul is arguing and pointing to the error that is within the church, this conflict that lies within. They're they're torn. They've got two spirits. They've got two minds. They've got two separate ways to be able to look at this. They're not striving side by side. They're fighting from within. There's a battle. There's a conflict. And it's not outside the church. It's within the church. And his argument centers not about how to be able to resolve this by words that you speak, but he focuses centrally on Christ. Mainly, they are to be called not to be able to agree with this person or agree with that person, but to focus themselves on Christ, on what Christ has done. In Christ's humiliation, in Christ's exaltation, as found in the beginning of chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. The Christians should have that mind amongst themselves, that of Christ Jesus. The Christian's life should be shaped in two different ways, of Christ's humiliation, but also of Christ's exaltation. Now, throughout his argument, he has heavily focused on that first part, the humiliation of Christ. Now, he's hinted as he's gone through the second as he's gone through in that second aspect of Christ's exaltation. Now, that does not mean that Christ's exaltation is not important. But it actually drives us in our humiliation, walking humbly, because we know that one day we will be exalted like Christ is exalted. As Christ says, that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Paul is connecting and and telling this church in Philippi about having this mind of Christ, being united to Christ in their union to Christ. So how does then Paul connect this humiliation to us today? You see this in this passage, this glorious truth and the outcome of those who humble themselves will will be exalted one day. That those who exalt themselves today will be humble. First, we're going to look at those who exalt themselves in today's world. Or as Paul says, as he calls them, they walk as enemies of the cross. Now, throughout this time, Paul refers to these these people that are enemies or outsiders or those who stir up conflict, and, and he doesn't necessarily specifically mention who they are. There's those who, who proclaim the gospel in chapter 1 that Paul rejoices that they're proclaiming the gospel, that they're not going through proclaiming the gospel because of their heartfelt desire, because of their love for Christ. They're doing it out of selfish gain. 
But he speaks of those who walk as enemies of the cross. So what about these people that exalt themselves today? Paul firstly says that their end is their destruction. That their end is their destruction. That in the end, these people who humble, exalt themselves today, lift themselves up, walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. They have actually an end. And we need to understand the enemy is quite subtle. Thomas Brooks says, the famous Puritan, Satan promises the best but pays the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit profit, and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. But God pays as he promises, and all his payments are made in pure gold. Those who exalt themselves today, their, their end is this dead end. There's, there's nothing further, nothing greater. They're walking their life thinking this is the life to be able to live today, and what they're living for is death for tomorrow. And these are the people who have earthly things. This mindset of looking down in the dirt and looking around in the world, and they never look up. This is a problem in the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes. As he says in chapter 1, the vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He says in verses 13 and 14, that I have applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it is unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Here, those who seek to be able to exalt themselves today are chasing wind that is never ending. Their end is, is destruction. You time and time again, you will seek to be able to be satisfied in all of this, but what Paul says is there's nothing to be paid. They live under the sun, S-U-N, never thinking about the sun, S-O-N. But we're told this, we're, we know this, Psalm 1. Those who are wicked, who follow the counsel of the wicked, who stands in the way of sinners, who sit with the seat of scoffers, Someone clearly spells out that they're, they're not like the tree that is planted. They're like chaff that are blown away. They're not able to stand in the judgment. Sinners aren't able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. The God knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is those who exalt themselves in this world. But the second thing that Paul teaches us about those who exalt themselves in this world is their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. They have something deeply intrinsic within them which seeks to be able to be fed and worshipped and glorified. 
There's something within them that seeks to be able to follow and be satisfied for whatever is within them. The pride that builds up, the, the greed, the love, the lusts, the pleasures, to be able to chase them, to be able to worship them, bow down to them. The end of the, the book of Judges ends is that there's no king in Israel and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And so to this, their appetite is their God. They follow their emotions, their feelings, their loves, their pleasures, chasing after them one after another, always reaching, never grasping. More money, more friends, more fame, better job, bigger house, better car. And continues and continues and continues and nothing will ever satisfy them time and time again. You get to the celebrities that reach the pinnacle of the top of, of what we would say is, is life on this earth. And they would say they feel empty. They have nothing. Not that they don't have anything. They've got everything. But they don't have the thing that they're looking for the thing that satisfies them, the thing that feeds them. And they do this time and time again. They wake up, and yet their end is destruction. The third thing that we see about these who exalt themselves is their shame is their glory. That their shame is their glory. And here, not only are they chasing things frivolously, Endlessly, hopelessly. But as they keep on going and going and chasing and chasing, what they are filled with is, is their glory, is their shame. They stand there boasting of this shame. And when Adam and Eve were sin, sinned against the Lord, they felt they were naked and they were ashamed. But now in this world we live, it seems that shame is something to be proud of. Something to boast of. They don't care if they're empty. They're proud to be able to wear their sin on their sleeve. To be able to boast of it. Exult in their sin. To boast in their actions. This is the world we live. Those who exalt themselves chase for themselves. But before we move on, we need to understand that this is us. The difference between people that end is their destruction, their God is their belly, their shame is their glory, is the grace of God. That's the only difference. that that is the way that we would be walking. This is a life that we would be following. That is the only difference that separates us. Not because we're better, not because we're greater, not because we worked it out, it's because God showed His grace and His mercy to us. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 says, But God, been rich in mercy, with the love that he loved us. Where were we? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Our God was our belly. Our shame was our glory. Our end was destruction. And yet, because of God's mercy, because of his love, The second aspect of those who humble themselves today. As Christ humbled himself, coming on the form of a servant, dying on the cross. Those who humble themselves are citizens of heaven. Now, a passport is stamped on the front. You have to be able to prove that you're a citizen of that country to be able to dwell or have some connection to that country to be able to get a passport. There's no way to be able to go and get a passport if you don't have some form of connection to that country. And that passport gives you rights that another passport will not have. When we travel into Australia, there's a line that says, This is for Australians. They're faster, quicker. And I'm able to go through that line if I was to leave my wife and my kids. And they have to go through the other line because their passport does not have that bear or that seal of the Australian government. Now you reverse that when you come into America. Is this line which is favored of those Americans. And Paul says here that our citizenship is in heaven. That we have rights and privileges bearing that of heaven. The, the stamp on our passports speaks of where we are going. The rights and privileges that we belong in this world. So what about those who have that citizen passport of heaven? Well, those who exalt themselves today, their end is destruction. But ours is transformation through Christ's exaltation. That ours is transformation through Christ's exaltation. As the world is seeking and looking down at this, this, this dust of this world and looking for treasures and things that moth and rust will destroy, those who are going to heaven, await from that heavenly being, Jesus Christ. And we are waiting for Christ Jesus to come. We know in this world that this is only temporary, that this is only something that is going to be for a short time. You wait only because there is something worth waiting for. None of us go to the DMV to wait, merely just to sit and wait. We wait longing for that time. Our number is called where we get to go. We don't go to the doctor's appointments merely to wait. We go to see the doctor. And so too as those who bear the seal of the citizenship of heaven. We wait in this world waiting for Christ to come and call our name. We wait for that transformation that will come. Waiting for our Savior. The second thing that we see of those of citizens of heaven 
Those who are exalted today, their God is their belly. But ours is knowing Christ Jesus through Christ's exaltation. As their appetite is never satisfied by their greed and their sins and their lusts and their pleasures, chasing time after time after time, longing for this finish line that never is attainable, so too that is the same for a Christian, but the change is not focused on us. As, Christ, as Paul said earlier, that they chase that prize which is upward, that, the knowing Christ Jesus. That appetite for a Christian, those whose citizenship is in heaven, is this endless appetite for knowing Christ. Not that we have already obtained it, not that we are already perfect, but we continue to press on to make Christ our own. Knowing Christ in all of His glory and splendor, in His humiliation and His exaltation, where every knee will bow, every tongue confess that He is Lord. And this should be what fuels us, what drives us as Christians. Knowing Christ and all of the riches which are found in Him. Thirdly and finally, those whose citizenship is in heaven. For those who exalt themselves in this world, their shame is their glory. But our glorification is found through Jesus' exaltation. You see this here in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body? by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That we are made new. Not only are waiting Jesus Christ, we're waiting our glorification and our glorified body. That we know in this world, and we long in this world as our body decays, the pains and aches of sin and sorrow that surmount, abound in us, That as we live in this life as humble servants, as Christ Jesus came to this earth as humble servants, dying to ourselves, that we long for that time in which our bodies been sown perishable, raised imperishable, sown in mortality, raised in immortality, Sown in sin and sorrow and death of destruction, raised in glorification, bearing the white righteous robes that Christ has given to us. Do we go from our lowly body to our glorious body? Transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The glorious truth that we live in this life humbled, humiliated in this world, knowing that there's a life to come, that we are merely citizens of another realm. We're here on a visa. We're here as tourists. We're here walking through, longing and waiting for that day in which we are finally home. Our tent with holes and, and, and poles that are broken and bent and twisted will one day be a home built by God. 
But again, the only thing that separates us is the grace of God. We only have this hope because of the grace of God. We have this truth because of what Christ has done through his humiliation, through his exaltation. So what then is the outcome? How do we live this out? Well, Paul says first that we should follow those who walk humbly. That we should follow those who walk humbly. You see this clearly where he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That here, Paul has humbled himself. That Epaphroditus has humbled himself even to the point of death. That Timothy has humbled himself. And so Paul says, follow us as we follow Christ. Follow us as we walk in the same way that Christ walked. Now I'm sure it doesn't take long for us to be able to look and see these people around us. There's many who we can see and emulate how they walk following Christ. And he tells us to be able to walk humbly following those. The second thing that we should do is that we need to realize that the difference between the first and the second group of people, again, is nothing to do with us. That if we read this and we start to boast in ourselves and say, oh, I thank God that I do not think that God, that God is my belly, that I don't boast and walk in shame, that I'm not walking that path of destruction. Oh, what you're not, you're not boasting in God. You're boasting in yourself because you think you have done something of your own accord. We look out of the world and we see the depths and depravity of people and we, we mock and we think they're enemies of God in which they are and, and we, we treat them like we're better than them. But Paul here says something very interesting about these people. He calls them enemies of the cross. He tells the truth in which they walk. But yet notice how he does it. He does it with tears in his eyes. He's not standing there boastfully proclaiming all of these things. But he does so with tears. Mourning the way in which they walk. Mourning the destruction which will come. Crying out for them. With tears, with eyes watering, he proclaims that their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. Is that how we relate to those outside the church, those outside of God's covenant promises? Do we weep for them when we see the news? Do we cry out for them and pray that God would show them grace, that grace would work in their hearts as the Spirit regenerates them, that their eyes would be opened? How did God treat His enemies? How did God treat you and I? Why we were still enemies? Christ died for us. 
one practical thing that I've heard recently that is very challenging. Do we pray for those people as if it was our child, our daughter living a life of sin, our son walking opposed to God? Do we pray and cry out that God would work in their hearts as if it was our son or our daughter? Instead of boasting and proclaiming and and see, do we pray with tears in our eyes that God would change their hearts? That's exactly what Christ did for us. He prayed for us. He died for us. Do we walk in that humility that Christ did for us? And that leads us to our last point of how we are to live. That is to model humility. Not only do we look to those who model humility and follow them, are we being this example of humility ourselves? Do we boast of our own accord? Do we chase our own desires? Or is our only desire to know Christ and Him alone? Are we the people that people could follow? Could we say to others, emulate us, walk and follow us? Great challenge for us to think and ponder. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help and his blessing. Let's pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, help us, we pray. Lord, we are poor and we are needy. Lord, in a passage like this only shows the depths of our depravity. Lord, that we can take the gospel of grace and turn it into a gospel of boasting, of arrogance, and pride. Forgive us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that our, our passport is stamped as we await your second coming. But fill us, Lord, with the humility which you had on this earth as we walk in this way, in this world that is not our own. Give us the heart, as the Apostle Paul says, that we might prayerfully and tearfully pray for those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose shame is their glory. Lord, pray that we would be humbled, that we might be able to show and point to them the humbled Savior who died for their sins. Lord, help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.